Welcome to Cinebabble episode 37, a very special episode of Cinebabble where we have traveled all the way back to 1994. I am your 90s host, Ken, and as always is my restless world-traveling friend and co-host, Clint. Clint, uh, tell the world where you've been this week. Oh, uh, man, this time you are you got it right. I did go somewhere. You, uh, yeah, you did. I, I left this vicinity that I've Dipped been in for the last two years. Dipped into some of that Cinebabble money and, and got <laughs> out of here. My wife and I went to the beach, and y'all, it was just amazing. It was glorious. Awesome. The yeah. beach in New Zealand. Oh, uh, And yeah. I hear it was uh, it's just a, it's gorgeous there this time of year. They mm-hmm. have they have one case of COVID, and they they shut everything down, which I, I think they've I was got the it case. figured it out. You were the case. <laughs> <laughs> I threw it everything into hysteria yeah. and yeah. Was it a good vacation? Yeah, Restful? it was worth worth spreading the good. disease across the I globe. love vacations when Clint takes vacations because Clint doesn't like pictures, but his <laughs> wife does. And so she will post pictures and she looks like she's having a wonderful time. And if you know Clint, you know he just hates photographs. Yeah. But uh, it always looks like he really hates whatever's happening or wherever he is or whoever he's with. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's great. That's, I love it. I mean, that's why our thumbnail is a little drawing I did rather than <laughs> I wouldn't allow yep. you to steal a sliver of my soul. That's all right. Yeah. That's all right. That's why I believe you're Jim Carrey on the website. So. <laughs> Thank you for not sunshine. making me uh, Jim Carrey the mask. Speaking oh, yeah. of 1994. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I went with quality. Yeah. I was just like, I know you like this movie, mm-hmm. and that's a good I way to go. I identify with that character. So this week, while you were gone and traveling and resting your laurels, uh, <laughs> we got an email from Instagram, and we are now official uh, influencers. Clint. Whoa. If officially influencers, and uh, another couple of thousand people, and we get uh, one of those little blue check marks that... I don't know, I guess it's soul affirming to some people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just like, okay, this feels like a scam email. But no, it's it, it was legit. So um, Cinebabble is now officially an, an Insta influencer. Just hmm. just wanted to put that All out that there. All that credit goes to you. I have Thank nothing you. to Thank do you. with it. Thank you. I just, I I really, I, I just, in my soul, I'm, I'm Gen X. You know? <laughs> I just, I understand the kids, Clint. Yeah. I understand you the, know the, all the, lingo. the tick and the talks. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different thing, though. Yeah, it is. It's a very different thing. Yeah. As soon as I figured out Instagram, then all of the articles are, hey, you need to do videos. I'm like, nope. Oh, man, I would love to see you on TikTok. <laughs> that would be so amazing. You dancing? No, no I, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, last week, Cinetron uh, spun up a very interesting pick. Instead of giving us a movie, it gave us the year 1994. And so Clint took advantage of his vacation, and I took advantage of the time he was away. And we have just immersed ourselves in the cinema of 1994. And wow. What a year of movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I was looking online, and some people kind of refer to this and, and argue this is one of the best years in the 90s for movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still am in particular to 99. I yeah. think 99 is just – Yeah. Oof, it's it's a year and a half. Uh, but 94 is a solid year. Mm-hmm. And uh, later on today, we are going to do uh, reviews of True Lies, which Clint had never seen. Yeah. Even though he is a, a fan of, of 90s action and Schwarzenegger and yeah. things like that. But we're going to review True Lies, John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness, a little comedy called Clifford, and then Leon the Professional. Um, some of those may be familiar. Some of those may be not. But we have watched them and we're ready to discuss. But first... Clint, let's do a special 1994 edition of What You Watchin' About. What you watchin about. 
Man, this was a lot of fun. I had a really good time doing this. It like <laughs> yeah. gave me an excuse to revisit some things that I hadn't seen in a long time and yeah. some things I missed. I mean, I was 11 at the time to date myself. There you go. So I was 16. Yeah. So to date you. To, yeah. 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 But uh, so there's a lot I missed and a lot um, that I hadn't seen in a long time. So the one thing I watched, actually, there's two things, but The uh, Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Which is a movie. Now I've watched it yeah. since you mentioned you had. I had never seen this before. Uh, me either. Yeah. I mean, an 11-year-old well, generally isn't watching a movie about yeah. drag queens. Well, and, and let's be honest. This movie would have never appeared in any form in either of our households. No, no, no. Uh, it's it's not something the parents would have grabbed from the video store. Right. I mean, uh Minus the the content of the film, I mean, just because it's like a it's an Australian flick, right? It's not going to like pop up on many people like their radar. I don't know, at least my family. So it's about directed by and written by um, Stephen Elliott. It follows two drag performers and a transgender woman as they travel across the desert in Australia to perform uh, their routine, their and this cabaret has act. Quite a cast, because oh, especially has... for '94, because it's a very progressive film. Yeah. Uh, for that era, and so I was surprised at at the level of of actors it, that it attracted at that time. Yeah, it's got Guy Pierce who plays Adam, um, Terrence Stamp who plays Bernadette, and Hugo Weaving plays Tick. And first off, one of the things I thought was great about it was just seeing these actors at that level in their um, career. Because, mm -hmm. like, I, I mean, outside of like Memento, that was like the earliest film I had seen of Guy Pierce. And then, like, Hugo Weaving, like, all I really remember him from um, that early on is the Matrix films. So yeah. just seeing them in a film like this where it's, like, a small, like, um, character-based mm -hmm. performance. And I thought, like, I was trying to read up on, like, what the LGBTQ, like, community, like, feels about this movie now. Mm -hmm. And, like, if it holds up, and it does, like, mm. like they still, like, oh, how, how, I mean, from what I read, I didn't read everything out there, but it's still well regarded, and it's very uh, progressive for the time, and the way the characters are portrayed is very, um, it's not, uh, like, a caricature, it's very human, and, like, they feel very real, especially, like, Terrence Stamp's character just feels so grounded, and it's not. Yeah. It like, has comedy, but it's not yeah, at the expense. It's of not at the expense of the them. Characters. It's yeah. more kind of the people they come in contact with, and the humor is more natural that takes place around mm -hmm. them. And I thought it was. It's. I mean, I like Australian films. It's. It's really fun to see like the outback, and especially portrayed like this. And uh, it was really nice contrast, like the the travel film across the country with the beautiful clothing that they're wearing just like occur in like in that landscape is really interesting. Um, this won the Academy Award for best costume, mm -hmm. which I was, I was saying that was like one of the only films outside of like a big fantasy film or anything that yeah. usually wins that. Now, do you think it's just, is this movie actually ahead of its time in 1994 or is it just America is behind on this kind of stuff and the rest of the world was kind of, is my question making sense there? No, it does. I I think I think it was for ninety four, especially it was talking about like coming out of like the AIDS pandemic and everything. Right. And that's what I found the most interesting. Yeah. I I thought some of the uh, you know kind of the period elements where it was it was really thoughtful and it really kind of gave a perspective of uh, you know what that community is doing as 
sort of the furor around uh, those topics were it was starting to die down a little right. bit. There were other things that people were grabbing hold of, and and so that sort of was left by the wayside. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like the the impression I get from this movie is that. Uh, that community, those communities are were basically okay. Now what do we do, and and how do we, where do we go from here? And mm-hmm. I thought the movie dealt with that in really um, kind of fascinating ways that yeah. that was thought provoking. And I hadn't really, being outside of that culture, it's not something I had considered before. Right, right. But yeah, coming, I really enjoyed this film, and it was like a nice little find. Like I, I mean, coming in, um, like reading more into it, I mean, this is highly regarded film. It's like ninety-seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes, mm-hmm. and it was just my ignorance for not coming across it sooner. But uh, I'm glad I did. Um, the other thing, well, I was going to talk next about Ed Wood, okay? Because this, but it's it's one of my favorite films. I love this film. So I didn't I I'm not going to talk about Ed Wood at I'm, all. N- not in this in not the, not in this here. segment. Yeah, in okay. this segment. I got you. I, I thought I was like, oh yeah, I could I could spill some more praise on Ed Wood, mm-hmm. but I thought I want to rewatch something that kind of really <laughs> encapsulates this time. Okay. Um, and like and a certain genre of films. So I revisited Jim Carrey's The Mask. Oh wow. <laughs> I did too, but go on. <laughs> this is not – this is – before before you start, let me just say from my experience, this is one of those uh, quintessential films that in my memory of 1994 is a very different movie yeah, than yeah. what I just watched last week. Uh-huh. Uh, almost Mandela effect style where <laughs> this is not the mask I watched. Yeah. All those years back. But, yeah. But go ahead. What was your – is this the first time you've seen it? No. I saw it when it came out. Okay. I mean I was 11. So like I feel like it's a perfect time for me. Can you me. imagine taking an 11-year-old to that movie? Well, just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it would – in 94, it would be mind-blowing. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's Jim Carrey. He finds a mask. Okay. It's we got sp- <laughs> like I was – like there was a huge long description for this film. I'm not going to read it out. No. Jim Carrey, he plays the character and he finds a mask and it gives him Looney Tune cartoon abilities. It's like the mask of Loki or something. It's, yeah. it's connected to old mythology. Yeah, it's got Jim Carrey and Cameron Diaz as her first performance, which I, that was interesting to find out. Um, I did enjoy, like, there's some fun cartoony things that, like, they do with it and especially playing on that um, Warner Brothers, you know, that that's the old style of uh, – cartoons that was kind of fun to see that come into reality but the main takeaway from this is and something i didn't realize when i was that age was the mask here is is terrifying yeah his face is terrifying those giant white teeth yeah. even when like the dog gets it it's terrifying and it's just i cannot like take anything else away from it <laughs> and uh i'm not going to get spoilery on something else we come across but there's another comedy we're going to talk about that I realized how it is so influential on my sense of comedy and like what I love. And this, like, I'm not a big fan of the Jim Carrey comedy years. Like I, like I love Eternal Sunshine in that era. Yeah. This is right after In Living Color when he's really becoming a Hollywood star. Yeah, and I think it's, Ace, it's Ventura Ace Ventura is the came same out year. this year. Dumb and Dumber came out this year. Yeah, he had this just his... like string of movies. Yeah, yeah. And I never could get into it, even at that age where I feel like it mm-hmm. was 
like made for me in that that time. And I even Dumb and Dumber. Not really. Like huh. I had there was another thing fighting against me at that time. Like every teen, like preteen boy, like I was friends with, loved this stuff, and I could not like I. I never could get into their inner circle of friendship. <laughs> so I kind of like equated the two together mm-hmm. where like they love this thing. They don't like me. There's <laughs> therefore I don't like, I, this I don't thing. like this thing. So it was kind of probably, yeah, yeah, there was. So I, and I, then I revisited dumb and dumber later in life and I, I did enjoy it more than I thought I would, but still, like, it's not my sense of humor. It's just, like, too in your face. And the Mm -hmm. same thing about this. It's just, like, always winking at the camera. Like, it's always just, like, look at me. Look how the funny faces I'm making. And it just never could get into it. Now, because you're a huge fan of Martin Short. Yeah, yeah. And Martin Short does the same thing. So what's the difference between Martin Short and Jim Carrey for you? I never feel like he is... Winking at the camera. I do, I believe the performance he's giving, he is a bigger than life cartoonish character, but I feel like it's, there's a subtle, like, lack, like, subtlety to it where they're not, he's not, like, look at me. It's, Mm. he believes he is that character fully. And even though it's big and loud. Big and loud. And there's a good, nice thing about, like, we're going to talk about Clifford. Like, everyone in that movie is, either the same kind of big and loud or completely opposite. So I don't, I don't know. It just makes it so much more believable. And maybe there's just a thing in the performance, like in the way it's performed that really connects with me. Mm. I, and I don't know. There, it's just like Martin Short connects with me in some way. Same with, with like Steve Martin. And I'm, I'm similar. For me, there's, there's kind of this inherent underlying sweetness yeah, in yeah. their performances. And I always feel like Jim Carrey's comedy performances, even recently when he was on Saturday Night Live yeah. uh, as Joe Biden, and, and people were not enjoying it and they couldn't put their finger on it. It was it was mean, yeah, yeah, but yeah. but not in the the critical way or the sat the, the satirical way. It was just you you get this sense of um, I don't know it. I I always feel when watching those Jim Carrey comedies that there is a joke and I'm not in on it, right? Yeah, and yeah. And I I feel like it's at someone's expense, and I I I get that feeling of like when I when I was in school and I, somebody was laughing at some other kid, and I'm just like, yeah, but I'm laughing, but I I don't want to laugh. That's mean. Right. Uh, that's the best way I can describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Martin Short, even even when he's doing a performance and the character is saying something mean, he goes all quiet and he does this almost it, – it's hard to describe. Yeah. And, I mean, he is big and there's a lot to the, like a cartoonishy nature to the performance. But I think there's other levels of the, the writing mm-hmm. in – the things he does is really good. So even outside of that, like the dialogue being given is hilarious. Even like outside of his character, like ever. I don't want to go into Clifford too much. That's okay. Steve Martin does the same thing that Martin Short does where he mm. brings a dopiness to those kind of characters that lets you know that what they're doing in the performance is making fun of that kind of mm-hmm. character and that kind of person. So you feel like any meanness is at a... It, at the character's expense right rather than the the other characters mm-hmm. that are surrounding them right um i have i have i loved ace venture when i was a kid but i have a really difficult time going back to it because it just feels like this awful human being uh taunting and toying with every single other person he comes in contact with including his love interest like right. he treats her terribly yeah and uh like okay 
I guess that was just that it was it's definitely a very uh 90s era humor mm-hmm. uh, that that he taps into. Yeah, even outside of Jim Carrey there's a lot of other ones like Chris Farley mm-hmm. and the, like you know the um Black Sheep and all those films that I I just maybe it was just my time in my life where I'm like too young to be allowed to watch it and then coming back to it later in life it mm-hmm. just doesn't hold up for me. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, that mask the Mask. Okay. What have you been watching about? Oh, man. <laughs> Did I have fun with 1994. I realized that in 1994, in May of 1994 is when I got my license. Mm-hmm. And so as I was – I started with a list of these films and then I started going back through and I realized how many of these films this year represented the first time I just got behind the wheel, got friends, and we went to see movies. Yeah, yeah. And it didn't matter what mom and dad thought because I just – I could go and watch whatever. And this is, I think, the year that that I sort of really came alive with movies. I loved movies before this, mm-hmm. but this is when I really started to – I just went and watched everything. Yeah. And because of the freedom. And so I ended up seeing all kinds of things and being exposed to all kinds of things and, and types of genres and movies that I would have never, I think uh, – really been able to to see before that mm-hmm. and so what i did is i went <laughs> uh down through the the box office list yeah and i was essentially like i'm gonna watch as many of these as i can mm-hmm. and if i don't have time to watch them i'm at least gonna watch five minutes of them <laughs> and i did this with 72 films oh my gosh <laughs> and obviously i did not watch 72 films but this was fun, and and we had a couple. How many of, weeks of these to did you this, have to rent for five minutes? I hardly any. Okay, uh, it was so easy to either pull them off my shelf because oh, right. I have so many yeah, of yeah. them. Uh, because again, this is my nostalgia yeah. era, mm-hmm. and so I have a lot of these just in there sitting on my shelves. Yeah, uh, and a lot of them were just Hulu and and different things like that. Surprisingly, the absolute hardest one to find was True Lies. Yeah, and it. I had no idea. It's not on DVD anymore. It's not on Blu-ray. It's never been on Blu-ray. It's no. not on 4K. It's not on any you streaming service. You can't stream it. No. It's it's like there's this void where you just can't, unless you go buy a used DVD copy That's of what True I had Lies, to do. it our, doesn't exist. Yeah, at our secondhand place in yeah. town, I had to, I, they had one copy. And it I just got lucky. It blows my mind that that's never... Uh, it's it's a big flick, yeah. And you would think that that it would be available, but but otherwise things were really easy. I rewatched The Lion King. Mm-hmm. I've never had great love for The Lion King, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it was fun. I I spent most of my time just kind of watching the animation and enjoying that. I revisited Forrest Gump, <laughs> and I I have never I've never been one that enjoys. Forrest Gump. Yeah. That was the year Pulp Fiction had come out. Mm-hmm. And I went to the theater to see Pulp Fiction. I took John and Ben. And John and Ben were 14. I was 16. Uh-huh. I, I can't even imagine what the rest of the crowd thought of our reaction to Pulp Fiction. <laughs> but if you can imagine a 16-year-old and two 14-year-olds, all from super conservative Christian homes, yeah. going to see a Quentin Tarantino movie in the theater, we lost our minds. Mm-hmm. I mean, just genuinely <laughs> lost our minds. And uh, I remember that year. That's the first year I got into the Oscars. Mm. And I was so pumped that Pulp Fiction was nominated. And I hadn't seen Forrest Gump at that point. When Forrest Gump won Best Picture, Mm -hmm. 
I threw <laughs> a fit, uh, a little 16-year-old fit and refused to watch Forrest Gump. And I probably didn't watch Forrest Gump until I was 28, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, which is, uh, you know, over 10 years later. Yeah. And I finally got to Forrest Gump and I hated it. Why? Because <laughs> I had to hate it, Clint. I had to. I had to. Because it stole that precious yes. gold medal. So this was my first pure revisit of Forrest Gump. Yeah. And older and wiser. And I was just like, you know what? I still hate this film, Clint. <laughs> this is this is an overrated and overhyped film. It is saccharine and too sweet. And Tom Hanks is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, but it bobbles between happy and sad. And it's got some, I guess at the time, very revolutionary CG. Mm-hmm. But it's real bad now. Uh, other than Gary Sinise's legs, that's incredible. Yeah, it's it's a decent movie. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's fine. decent. It's fine. Yeah, but I still I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I um, mean, Tom Hanks is reason enough to watch it. Tom Hanks, did, it's very rare he strikes out. Yeah, yeah. It just he he really he hits. He always I, brings something. I feel the same way about Castaway, where like I revisited that not too long ago, and. It's kind of, I mean, it's the same director, I believe, isn't yeah. it? And I had the same feelings about that film. Um, I think I like it a little bit more than Forrest mm-hmm. Gump, but for Tom Hanks, he's fantastic in it. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah. He he always elevates things. I went back and watched the Flintstones movie. <laughs> I watched the whole, I, so I, I promised myself I'm going to watch all of the top 10 box office okay. films yeah, yeah. before I looked at the list. Mm-hmm. And number four is the Flintstones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, just to put this in perspective, the Flintstones made uh, $350 million worldwide in 1994. Mm. That's like a billion dollars <laughs> today, Clint, for the Flintstones. Yeah. Uh, it's it's terrible. It's not good. I mean, if that was today in something like the Fast and Furious franchise, there would be so many Flintstones movies. Hold on. <laughs> Flintstones. So, so what just came to my mind? <laughs> I'm ready to hear this. Is the Fast and the Flintstones. <laughs> and it's Fast and Furious 10. Him pedaling <laughs> so fast and like doing ridiculous stunts with his Flintstones yep. car. Yep. Yep. I um, would watch that movie. I would too. I'd be a part of that $350 million today. I'd watch that so much easier than Goodness any of the yes. Fast and the Furious films. I, I watched The Mask. Uh, same thoughts as you. Uh, just one additional. It's it's very over-sexualized. Oh, my gosh. And I yeah. did not realize, yeah. certainly not at the time, just how much innuendo and stuff is in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Almost to the point that it's just like, man, don't you, you know – it 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 got a little on the wrong side of the the Me Too era kind of feeling. Yeah, yeah. It uh, it did not feel timely. No. I watched Speed. Mm-hmm. Speed holds up. Yeah. Speed. Have Have you watched Speed recently? It's been a while. Yeah. Speed holds up. Yeah. And it's very nineties, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in the dialogue. But there's just some great natural performances there. Mm-hmm. Jeff Daniels, Keanu Reeves, Sandra Bullock, uh, and and they really sell. What is otherwise a stupid, stupid concept? <laughs> it really is. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I, I believe you. If if they were doing a we're doing a bus trip through Kansas, you could believably keep a bus over 50 miles per hour. Uh-huh. Downtown LA at rush hour? No, no. I've been to LA. Who directed that? And oh, that's a wonderful question. Okay, it's not going to come to me. That's fine. It should, but mm. not there. Somebody name worthy. Mm-hmm. Somebody name worthy. But it. 
It's worth watching. I revisited Dumb and Dumber. Mm-hmm. I found it grating, even yeah. though I loved it. There was a lot of nostalgia there, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I found it 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 made me tired. Yeah, it just it kind of it kind of wore me out. First time I've ever seen Four Weddings and a Funeral, which was up for uh, an Oscar that year. Mm-hmm. And this movie just really sold me on the fact that in 1994, uh, awards had no idea what they were doing. Uh, <laughs> Jan DeBont did uh, Speed. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Yes. Interview with the Vampire. Mm-hmm. Interview with the Vampire, subsequently, is the first R-rated movie that I drove to uh, explicitly without my parents' permission. <laughs> and... I lied when I came home because Frankenstein, the Robert De Niro one, was yeah. out at the same time. And for some reason, my mom was fine with Frankenstein, mm-hmm. a body being reconstructed and reanimated, but not it's fine a classic with vampires. Tale. It's sure. a classic tale. Not fine with vampires. Right. And so I lied to her and said, I went to see Frankenstein, but I left the ticket stub mm. in my pocket. Rookie mistake. Rookie mistake. And she did my laundry. And I got caught. Mm-hmm. But you I You said, yeah, I'm holding my, it for a friend? No, no, no. I went with my now wife. Mm-hmm. That was that was the first movie that we went to. So Interview with the Vampire, uh, I have special love for. I cannot watch it and determine if it's actually good or not. Did you enjoy it? Yes. Okay, because I, I yes. was – that was one I was going to, but I ran out of time. So I'm just curious. Brad Pitt's a little sleepy. Yeah. Especially compared to later and, and just how amazing his performances have been. He He's still in that, that – time period where he's figuring out who he is as an actor mm-hmm. and was he doing the thing where he's eating a lot he just has no. like <laughs> he has like a body and he's just like sucking from it no no i mean i guess with rats yes okay. maybe that's what started the whole thing <laughs> well it worked in that so might as well i do love now watching a brad pitt movie and just watching how much he eats <laughs> i uh watched moneyball with levi uh-huh. and he found that surprisingly interesting and i love that movie but he eats <laughs> that entire movie. They should do one where slowly he gets larger throughout <laughs> the film, and by the end, he just can't get out of the couch. Perfect. Uh, I rewatched Pulp Fiction. Uh-huh. Love Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Pulp Fiction still has a very special place in my heart. The only thing that has not aged well at all in that movie is Quentin Tarantino's scene, uh, where oh. he is just liberally dropping the end bomb. Right. And it's yeah. so uncomfortable. And it wouldn't be uncomfortable if Samuel Jackson's character, if Jules commented on it. Right. But he just rolls with it and it it feels very I remember thinking that felt weird at the time. Yeah. But it, it that part has not aged. But otherwise that that film is still it holds up. Um You know the 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 balls on him. Uh, right. Do you think Seriously. like I mean it's like and it is so bizarre to think back and it's like <laughs> laughing about it like oh it, he's getting away no he's not he's not getting away with it yeah. it's just like oh my gosh but can you imagine that. sharing a scene with not just a black actor but Samuel Jackson right because as we've come to learn Samuel Jackson can do that very intense and frightening character mm-hmm. because Samuel L. Jackson is a very intense and frightening person at times. <laughs> and I, I just, I can't imagine it. Uh, cool. You know, fine. Right. But that must've been an interesting conversation. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for the conversation where, okay, Sam, now here's, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to say. You know, it just, I don't know. Yeah. I imagine Samuel L. Jackson reading the script and thinking like, oh, clearly this character of Jimmy is black. 
mm-hmm. and then getting on set and Quentin's like, oh, it's me. Mm-hmm. So, what now? <laughs> okay. Um, I watched I watched Stargate. I did too. Did you? Yeah. Did you think it has aged well? I still enjoyed it. I still enjoy it, but I was more aware of how dated some of the things, the effects and whatnot were. Yeah, it was it is, but I really enjoy that period mm-hmm. in like special effects. Like some of the CG stuff is not great. But and some of like I still like like the Egyptian masks and all that stuff yeah. still look really cool. Yeah. And that's I, I I'm not as distracted by practical effects. Yeah. Of of old eras, but in in that late 80s to 90s period, it's when they're first kind of figuring out how to integrate CG. Mm-hmm. And it it just it it doesn't work and it seems like every year that goes by it it ages a little more rapidly for me those yeah. moments. Yeah. Uh but it's got it's got some great ideas and oh, yeah. uh, it's just it's it's one of those high adventure films from I th- childhood. I think the soundtrack is amazing for that film. Who did the who did um, the score? I I didn't write it down. Okay. Um but it feels like one of the great like Indiana Jones mm-hmm. scores where it's just so kind of iconic sounding. Yeah. It's I, it's very orchestral yeah. but with like that fanfare of trumpets and Right. I, I um, it just makes it feel much larger than it is even yeah. though it's a big film but it makes it even feel bigger and it's cool. I watched The Santa Claus again with oh. Tim Allen. Mm-hmm. Uh that was that was um yeah. That was one of the few I had to pay for. <laughs> I believe I paid 3.99. Yeah. And I've seen that movie so many times. I mean, I I'm was sorry. I was 11 at the time that my family loved that film. That film? Yeah. My dad is wow. a giant uh Christmas fanatic. Okay. Um so anything Christmas related? Yeah. Oh man. This this one hurt my eyes. <laughs> it was it, it was it was fine. Yeah. It was, you know, very 90s family. Let's, you know, toss a moral in there and mm-hmm. the kids will come and parents will be happy, but what did you feel? How did you feel about Home Improvement at the time? I loved Home Improvement okay. at the time. Now I haven't gone back and watched, but my my family and I we ate up Home Improvement. I think that's kind of what gave me a pass on that movie too at the time, okay. where I was like, I was in that. Like I loved Home Improvement. It's Tim Allen, whatever. And see, I remember loving it at the time. Yeah, I, just I'm now, sure I would hate it too. Oh, but. it it, you know, uh, rewatch Legends of the Fall. Uh, which is it? It remains a, a really good film to me. Yeah, uh, it's it's got a little bit too much of a kind of soaring majesty to it. A little bit of melodrama, mm-hmm. but uh, man, what a great cast! And it's got some dark and and deeply affecting scenes in it. Um, I wanted to watch that one again too, but it's it's yeah. definitely worth rewatching. It it definitely. I mean, it's a period piece, so it's not like it's aged, but it, yeah. it has aged in the sense of of some of the filmmaking style and things like that. But as far as scores go, that's a – I believe James Horner did that score, mm. and that's one of my all-time favorite uh, movie scores. It's just gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, there's this one track uh, called Ludlow's that's just mm. – mm-hmm. I mean, you could play it for me now, and I'd start crying, and then I'd fall asleep. It, I don't understand. <laughs> Clint, I don't understand my emotions. Mm. I don't, it's been a weird You're a year. Mess. Wolf with Jack Nicholson. Yeah. I remember going to see a, this in the theater and I was excited because I was like, this is my first werewolf movie. It's terrible. And I thought, well, maybe I just didn't get it at the time. Maybe it was doing some really adult kind of dramatic things and well, I just thought it was boring. This was a big year for classic monsters. There big was year. the Frankenstein, Wolf, big and year. Interview. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
uh, it was it was a big let's revisit kind of the the horror creatures of of our childhood yeah. in, in Hollywood. Uh, Wolf is not a good film. Yeah, I it's, haven't seen that one. It's really not. If you want to see Jack Nicholson naked waking up next to a dead deer, sold. This is the movie for you. Sold. Uh, and this is right when he's starting to bald. Okay. And so it's not like it, it's not like, like really bald. Not like, like really bald. Like, this this is not like Shining. Yeah. Jack Nicholson uh, or, or or one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. This is oh he's getting up there. This mm-hmm. is this is starting to show, and he's dying his hair for some reason. Oh, oh okay. Mm. Um, I went back and watched Star Trek Generations. Uh huh. Uh, which is the first of the Next Generation movies. And it's kind of the crossover with Kirk and Picard. Mm-hmm. A lot of people hate this movie. And I remember not enjoying it a lot at the time. Yeah. I kind of dug it. Hmm. Uh, it's it's a softer, simpler, quieter movie. I can definitely see why, uh, you know, myself and different Trek fans at the time just thought it was underwhelming. Uh, but in in retrospect, it's it's kind of... Uh, it's it's about aging and it's about passing the torch and it's mm-hmm. about uh, you know facing your your mortality and and your legacy right and just just some of those themes I particularly enjoyed. Uh, man, I realize now like that's just the top twenty. <laughs> I watched entirely too many things. Time Cop that was yeah. a highlight with Jean Claude Van Damme. Uh-huh. Have you ever seen that? I think way way back. Whew. Yeah. That's about when it should have stayed because <laughs> it was it was rough. I watched on my uh, Van Damme kind of mm-hmm. uh, drive or whatever you call that. I also watched the Street Fighter movie, uh-huh. which I had never seen. <laughs> oh, it's bad, Clint. Mm. It's super I think bad. I saw that at the time, but it, it, yeah, it's been forever. I rewatched The Crow. Uh-huh. Uh, the Crow holds up. Does it? The Crow is really good. It's definitely a, a product of its time, and it's that goth grunge, yeah, yeah, kind of nineties rock era. Uh, but I mean, I mean, the entire movie went, and I thought it was extremely well done. There's only one thing that dates the whole thing, and mm-hmm. it's uh, I forget exactly what he's doing, but this cop kind of gets startled in a car and goes, "What the crap?" <laughs> Just like that, "What the crap." <laughs> And it's the most distracting and oddly placed kind of cutaway to a character that doesn't matter at all. <laughs> um, but otherwise, other than that character, uh, it it still was really good. Uh, rewatched Naked Gun 33 and a third. Uh-huh. Um, forgot what parody movies were really like. <laughs> they they were extra. They were really. I, re- I I watched the first Naked Gun for the last time when we did the I can't remember what year that was, eighty um, eighty eight. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, I I mean I love Airplane. I think Leslie Nielsen is amazing. Yeah. Um, so I don't think I've seen that one. By thirty three and the third, I think they're trying a little too hard. Uh, yeah, I remember like in the first and second one, but mm-hmm. the the third one just it it really stretches itself. Um, not for the better. And I guess the last movie is one I want to talk about. Okay. And it's a movie that that a lot of people have love for. Mm-hmm. And I already know you do not have love for. Okay. And you already know I do not have love for. And so I would like the two of us, Clint, to try to figure out what it is about this movie that people enjoy. Okay. Because Natural Born Killers from Oliver Stone <laughs> is one of the most um, taxing and irritating, relentless movies 
I think I've ever watched. And it's one I've revisited different times thinking I must be missing something. Uh-huh. I never enjoy this movie. Yeah. I never did enjoy this movie. Even back when, you know, the content of it would have made me like, haha, I'm a 16 year old watching this R rated. No, I hated it then. And I just, I don't understand it now. Mm-hmm. Do you have any concept as to what it is about this movie that endures? I don't know. I mean, it's been so long since I saw it. And I remember like when I did, it was just so like grating on me at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a giant fan of Oliver Stone's films. That's who did it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I sound really professional and I have to That's second right. guess. Um and I think it's just maybe it's just the content of like, oh, it's so edgy, these serial killers on the run and they're committing their crimes. And at the time when I like seeing it, when I saw it, it felt like it was really like basking in that, like, oh, look, like we're, look how we're committing these crimes. We're really loving what we're doing. And it just kind of felt like promoting it in some Mm -hmm. way rather than like examining the minds of these people and like why you would do something like this. It felt more like, yeah, let's do this. And I get, especially Robert Downey Jr. plays this reporter Mm -hmm. that's sort of following them and then he gets embedded with them and ultimately killed, Mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, grizzly man style. Of course, if you run around with serial killers, it's not going to end well with you. Right. And, And I get what they're doing is they're, Stone is trying to satirize celebrity culture, mm-hmm. and that's right at the time that reality TV's really taken off. And so I understand as a product of a time what he was trying to accomplish. I just – I don't feel that it actually does that because it's so splashy mm-hmm. and it's so colorful and grotesque and, and not even grotesque in a violent way, just stylistically. It's very garish and grotesque. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's not a pleasant film to watch. The right. cinematography is in no way – it's more it's it's an assault on the senses mm-hmm. even the soundtrack and and the, just everything it it really just starts hitting you on the head and continues to do so right and i just i i rarely respond to that sort of thing mm-hmm. and i realize the more i go back and watch especially 90s era oliver stone he does that a lot mm-hmm. that was that was predominantly his style at the time um and I'm not sure if that's just what he enjoys. I'm I'm trying to think of another filmmaker that that just beats you over the head with style. Uh, there's there's Baz Luhrmann mm-hmm. uh, with his musicals. It's a very you know kind of just over the top and absurdist uh, assault on the senses. Um, but it's it's not something that gets a lot of play or that you see from a lot of filmmakers. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to think of somebody else who. Mm-hmm does something similar to that but yeah even like some of his other films i i just never could like it never connected to me in some yeah. way and this one i don't even know like how long it's been since i've seen it i was gonna rewatch it but i didn't yeah um yeah i don't know okay yeah I, I sorry I can't. That's okay. I figure it out. For I you. tried watching it again. This one yeah. I I just ended up skipping through it. Yeah, because it was very clear within the first twenty minutes. I do not enjoy this movie. <laughs> uh, I may even is that one I pulled off my shelf. I had gotten the Oliver Stone collection once upon a time, so that may be one that that I have despite despising. Um, but it just it was not enjoyable at all. Yeah, and um. You know, it it just 
it wasn't something that that left me in any way feeling like, okay, now I understand and and here's what really grabs a hold of people mm-hmm. uh, and continues to get talked about. Because you still see it on a lot of best of lists when you go back into the 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you is Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. Uh Shawshank Redemption is kind of this beloved film, mm-hmm. and it's it's really gathered a following, especially once it hit TNT and they just played it <laughs> round the clock. Shawshank Redemption only made twenty eight million dollars worldwide at the time when at it the came, time, yeah. Um, it's interesting to me because I'm watching Dune coming up, mm-hmm. and I already know that Dune is part one, and mm-hmm. they have not greenlit part two Mm -hmm. because they want to see how part one does. I guess they're worried about kind of a a Blade Runner 2049 uh, thing. Is the box office a good measure of a film's quality? Is that something that that I get the practical end of needing to look at it because as a business, you're a movie studio, you got to make money. But at the same time, to invest that level of money in something I I I don't understand the idea of let's invest hundreds of millions of dollars in this first Dune movie, but we'll just shrug our shoulders on the second one until we make sure it makes money. Yeah, I don't know. I I honestly don't think it is a good um, way of indicating if a movie is quality. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is. I I think the only thing, like you said, is it is. I mean, it's an indicator for the shareholders and people trying to make a profit <laughs> off of it. Like yeah. if they should continue, but I mean, we're going to talk about Clifford and that film was critically panned. Oh like, yeah. Hated that movie. Currently it's still 13% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and I think there's, I'm sure it was a giant loss for the the company, but it's throughout the years. I mean, it's, there's so many comedians in sight who cite that film as like a one of their favorite films so i think in that aspect it is very successful like it it like uh influenced a whole generation of comedians and there's a cult following behind it i think i don't think in any way the box office should be a good indicator of the quality of a film um there (laughs) there's i don't know there's like the um, Blade Runner film, that film was amazing, mm-hmm. and uh, it never got talked about after it yeah. was. Um, couple of uh, awards, couple, tech awards, tech awards. But yeah. I mean, over, across the board, I feel like that movie, like the acting and every aspect of it, was one of the best sci-fi movies in years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I, I I'm trying to think of another example. It makes me sad with Blade Runner, just because that was something. And I'm glad they made it as a standalone film. Yeah. At the same time, he's he's been very open about the fact that he had lots of other ideas and lots of places to go. And mm-hmm. it it pains me to think there could have been another one. And there's not. Right. And it, it really comes down to, well, enough people didn't go and see it. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's something that's going to change with streaming? Or is I that think, still... I think it would have to, really. I mean, I feel like it's probably... Really, I don't know. I, I, it has to be l- getting the films out there more, so it's making it easier for people to see these films. So, That's true. Um, I mean, you don't have to um, go to the theater and devote a day or to 
make it the trek there. So I'm sure there's a lot, of, especially with, I wonder how they're doing it like on HBO Max where like, are they, you think they're keeping track of that for that? Sake? I would assume so. And, and I know they released it worldwide a month early. Yeah. So in the US, it's hitting HBO Max kind of day and date with theaters. Uh-huh. But worldwide, it's not. Worldwide, they're getting a full month of seeing how it performs overseas at the box office okay. before it splits here. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll probably have a better indicator because it's doing very well overseas, which was a huge relief to me. I haven't even seen the thing yet. but Are we, Dune? Uh, Dune. Yeah, yeah. But it's just one of those things I really want. If there's a part one, I want there to be a part two. For I, sure, yeah. I don't want half a movie. I mean, we had the same feeling about it at the yeah. time like because there wasn't – they weren't sure if they were going to. They were yeah. kind of seeing if it played well. Yeah. I mean, we kind of lost out in the end on that one, but <laughs> yeah. as far as the quality of the second part. but That was a thing that I noticed about 94. There's not a lot of sequels yeah. at all. And I, I, I wonder, because 99 is the same way, and uh, this is completely unscientific, completely subjective. I'm just you now mean, like, thinking there, of it. But there weren't like um, – sequels after from these movies that no in 1994 oh. they're mostly original property movies yeah. there's not a lot of sequels and in 99 there's not a lot of sequels it's a lot of original property movies and i'm wondering if those years that really hit and that that really feel like this was a year in film are the years that aren't cluttered by franchises and sequels and and revisits and remakes and reboots mm-hmm. i would love to go back through and look at that because like 99 is is Eternal Sunshine and Matrix and uh, Fight Club. and but Yeah, it, it always surprises me how much in is in 99, but then it's all original properties. Yeah, I, I was listening to uh, – I can't remember what the podcast was or anything. And they were doing a breakdown of why the films were the way they were throughout those years and why they are now. Mm-hmm. And it was rather – I think it was talking about how there was more of a scattershot approach where you're spreading your money out um, in a wider fan, like through mm-hmm. like these smaller films. And then they the, – like the superhero stuff started happening mm-hmm. where they realized that if they just put a big chunk in one thing, there's a better return on their – their dime so they started doing that more and so then these smaller films started dying off and they started going to like netflix and all that stuff you started picking them up Mm -hmm. so it was really interesting like just how it just completely shifted after they started realizing like oh well why would we have all the money spread out on these things that we're not sure is going to be a return and we'll just put it all in this like put it all in black <laughs> and um, we know it'll like, and so it'll be like franchise stuff. It'll be um, remakes. It'll be um, sequels. So that's like why we have all that stuff now. Yeah. It's really interesting. Hmm. I wonder if that comes back around. I wonder if they're right. Like everything right now is looking, I think at Marvel movies and saying, how do we replicate that? That is a money machine. Right. It is guaranteed you know, thankfully their, their movies are are quality, but at the same time, it's one of those things where even if they weren't, you would have a couple of movies before people stopped going. 
Yeah. Even yeah. if if like Shang Chi was terrible, mm-hmm. it's not going to stop people from going to Eternals. They would just be like, oh, they just missed on that. One. Right. Right. You know, it would take a while. It would um, have to be like this whole. Is this the third or second phase of Marvel yeah. where like this whole phase is a bust? Yeah. And then like people start falling off. I yeah. And and I just wonder is that the future of movie making where we're always going to have. And it's not like the the superhero movies were the first ones. Uh, you know, Star Wars sort of started it. And by the time you get to Harry Potter and some others, it's almost like the, like, pitch your movie, but go ahead and pitch your built-in trilogy for me. Right. Um, even the Matrix, the, the the original 99 Matrix is this self-contained, really, yeah, yeah. really good and solid, tight mm-hmm. film. And then you get those sequels. And that's when that all start that shift starts to yeah. happen. Yeah. That ninety nine, it's right after that. And then yeah. yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, the early two thousands. And then right when it's two thousand one, it's Lord of the Rings or two thousand. And so that's a giant year after year, because that was two thousand was that two thousand one, two and three? Or two thousand, two thousand one, two thousand two. Uh, I can't remember. It might be two thousand one. Yeah. But whatever it was, I mean, it was three years in a row. They yeah. were they were literally scrambling to get those put and together. And then it goes into like Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And the Harry Potters, they wanted to keep up with the kids aging. Mm-hmm. And so that was one every Christmas. Mm-hmm. Just like, oh, here's your next Harry Potter. And then that kind of leads into the like Batman franchise. And yep. Well, and next year they've they've already uh said there's there's at least five Marvel movies, mm-hmm. plus all the Disney Plus series and things like that. And I think then they're they're going to have to worry about oversaturation, but uh, you know it's it's one of those even like a Fast and the Furious. <laughs> it's just right. Car thieves part nine. <laughs> it's barely about car thieves anymore, but it's about no, family. It's uh, about family. You know, so <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm not against franchises. I do I do wish we saw more of a. Disney makes all this superhero money and then they go off and they invest a portion of that money almost like they used to with Miramax and Touchstone and all those into these smaller. You sound a lot like me right now. Do I? Yeah. (laughs) This is my whole argument. Really? (laughs) That I make all the time. I don't think so. Yeah, it is. (laughs) I don't think so. I still love superhero movies. I like them too, but my whole argument is the same. I like them a lot. I know you That makes us different. Yeah. I enjoy them. Okay. You bleed them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's talk our our best. Uh, I'm assuming you've put together a top ten list of your your best movies of 1994. Mm-hmm. How do you want to do this? Do you want to just kind of go through your list and then I'll do mine? Or yeah. I, I suspect we're going to have similar movies. And so why don't you go through one at a time? And if they're ones I have, we'll just both talk about them. And then when we get to me, I'll write off my list and just any that that don't overlap with yours. Okay. So what do you got? Do you have these in any order? No, they're not oh, in Clint, any order. That's disappointing. I know. I don't I don't have them in order either. <sighs> okay. It's okay. Um, my first is Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what all is, mine. What is there to say about Shawshank Redemption? It's it's a classic. It really is, and and a well deserved classic. Yeah. It's it's one of those timeless gets thrown around a lot, but I this isn't a movie that ages. No, I mean it, it, I feel like there's movies that are already set in the past, yep. like really benefit from that because yeah. it's already taken out of the time like that you're thinking it should be in, so yeah. you don't have that um, going into it. 
um, Pulp Fiction. Yep, that's on mine as well. Um, haven't watched this one in a while. Really? I mean, it's been a couple years, mm-hmm. uh, but I maybe two or three. But it still really held up for me at the time. And I'm same things we were talking about earlier. There, I mean, definitely some things in it that should. <laughs> have been realized at the time that maybe yeah, yeah we we seem a little naive in the 90s yeah as if it's we like we really well, should have seen something right but it's we like didn't. oh we solved all that race stuff we don't it's okay you're cool with me saying this we share bus seats we can we can just say whatever right yeah it, it's a little problematic yeah um Okay, Clifford, which I've already talked about a billion times. You put that on your top ten. This That's is awesome. No, this I love is, you so much. This would be one of my top five movies ever. Oh wow! Like this is one of my favorite comedies. Wow, really, okay. it is. Like this, like I was eleven. This defined like, and it kind of made so much sense to me after like watching it again. Like why I like the things I like hmm. because this is one of my first like. Um, inter- introductions to real comedy movies mm-hmm. outside of like kids movies like I mean like same year um, like was it Three Ninjas came yeah. out so that's the kind of stuff I was really watching mm-hmm. and so this was an actual comedy movie made by comedians and like real comedians but you and, can tell are having a blast on set oh yeah yeah but like that's and so it and it's such a weird movie so like mm-hmm. Um, and I, at the time I didn't realize how weird it was. It was just so hilarious. And even to my whole family, like my whole family, like to this day, we still quote this movie, <laughs> like any luck with that chocolate. Like my dad says that constantly. <laughs> and so it really set me up for the things I like. So like later in life, like I love Conan O'Brien mm-hmm. and just any, like I really got into like, after I kind of got the freedom to go and rent whatever I wanted, same probably mm-hmm. thing you were talking about where I have my license. I went and got like all the Steve Martin movies and watched through those with my friend, jo- our friend Josh Ryan. And we just binged all of those. So that was just like my world of comedy. And into, I, and I never looked this movie up like to see how well it did in the box office Bad. or anything. And then to find out that like this movie is critically hated. Yeah. And and I was like, It made how? under $4 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. That was its, it's one of the lowest ranking. It doesn't even make the top hundred and whatever no, from 94. And to read people's reviews of it is baffling that mm-hmm. like they just cannot understand that he's playing a younger boy and how it does and it's just what do you mean this is on almost every worst of 1994 list and and i i also you know plot spoiler i enjoy clifford too and i was really surprised like i knew based on the style and everything okay this isn't everybody's cup of tea but i i never dreamed it would just be so reviled right right so we're going to talk about this more so i won't continue um ed wood okay Uh, yes tell me more about ed wood I have not watched Ed Wood. You've never seen Ed Wood? Never. Well, you had never we when we did the last time when we did this um the 80s movie, you had never seen um, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Yep. So there's a big chunk. Mm-hmm. I feel like I had borrowed this movie from you. It only if it's when I was reviewing everything and, yeah. and maybe you borrowed it from me. Uh, but no, I it's it's a blank spot in my head. Mm-hmm. I watched this was one of the ones that that I didn't even get five minutes of uh, this this oh, week. Oh, you didn't get to it? I didn't even realize it was 1994. Yeah. Uh, when you first said Ed Wood, I was just like, that was 94? I would have watched that. So so tell me, Ed Wood, what is it about Ed Wood that just makes it mm, 
in your world? Um, well, I mean, it's Tim Burton, and it's um, got, you know, Johnny Depp, who plays mm -hmm. Ed Wood. It's about the director who was, you know, he made those schlocky films. Sci-fi, right? S yeah, sci-fi. And... and it's about basically his, um, like, friendship with Bela Lugosi, hmm. who at the time, he is a washed-up actor. He's hasn't worked in 20, 30 years. And he, um, Ed Wood comes across him just randomly and like before he is really into film like making movies and they form a friendship and he starts putting him in the movies he starts making bella lugosi is played by uh martin landau yes thank you and it's got bill murray it's got sarah it jessica bill parker murray? yeah who play and it's what we were talking about it was a really i was going to talk about this when we were talking about um uh what was the movie now i can't even my mind's gone blank with movie names, Adventures of Priscilla, mm -hmm. because there's some very interesting overlap in content because Ed Wood in the film, he's a cross-dresser and he's trying to like come out to his um, his girlfriend at the time, played by Jessica Sarah Parker, that he's a cross-dresser. And Bill Murray is, he's um, thinking about getting a sex change and he's talking about going down to Mexico. What year does this take place? This takes place in uh, it's like the fifties. Okay. Or um, sorry to ask you all these questions. I'm I am putting Clint on the spot. Yeah, he sorry. Is furiously looking through his notes, which he has done his due diligence. I'm just rapid firing <laughs> questions here. Yeah, I wasn't planning to talk about this one as much, but That's okay. I, that you haven't seen it is. Yeah, I'll have to add that to my list. And I mean, this is a true what you watching because I just. It's one of those that have always uh, flown under my radar and, and escaped my my watching. Yeah, I'd say it's like in the fifties, like because okay. um, the one his first film came out in fifty three, and that's where it kind of picks up. Okay. Um, so it's about this kind of odd group of people who come together to make these movies. They're really and Edward's not a good director, and he's um, they're really schlocky, and it's just about him coming to terms with himself and like. He's made this friendship with Bella Lugosi, and it's about this little family that comes together to make these really bad little sci-fi films. <laughs> and it's it's definitely one of my favorite of Tim Burton's films. Hmm. Like it might be my favorite Tim Burton film. It's a oh. really subtle film. It's not like the real big ones like Edward Scissorhands or later in where it's their full or the, of the more surreal and, and fantastical. Yeah, this is very grounded hmm. and um and it's definitely uh, one of Johnny Depp's best performances. And Jenny hadn't seen it either. And she was like, man, it's so like Johnny Depp's really animated and like in a really kind of cartoonish way, but very natural. Like he's really um, got into the mind of this guy and it's really fun. And um, I don't know. I highly suggest okay. you watch it. I'm surprised no, you've never seen it. It just it's always been there. I'm aware of its existence. Mm -hmm. I know it's loved. And it's it's highly regarded. I've just never. It's one of those things I've just never gotten around to. Hmm. Well, so, there you go. Um, my next film, going back through my notes, <laughs> uh, was Clerks. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, on mine as well. Still one of his of um his movies that really hold up for me. Yeah, uh, Kevin Smith when uh, later films it's it's interesting because it's really that first block of films. Yeah. Uh Clerks and Chasing Amy and and some of those that uh, 
he seems to have a different voice. I think mm-hmm. later he gets more laid back and just starts to enjoy things in the process more and just likes to have fun. But this is where you can really feel him not trying to be a real filmmaker. He's always a real filmmaker, but he's right. he's trying to make a splash and make an impression and really be an original voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just to himself, but he's really trying to build an audience, which he successfully does. Yeah. I feel like this is the one where every single uh, com- bit of it comes together as far as like the quality of the filmmaking, like the style. It's a very independent film. So like how it's shot feels very independent. The acting is very independent style, like low budget. And it all kind of works to in its to film to f- like make the whole thing feel consistent. Um, I feel like when you get into like mall rats and stuff, Mm -hmm. the quality in the like film know-how of making a movie jumps up, but the acting doesn't. So if you rewatch one of the, like that film, I feel like there's things that don't mesh together in a way. Well, and and he seems to divide in two. He has he has the clerks and chasing Amy mm-hmm. uh, and different things there, where where it's more. They're obviously not all serious characters, and and there's high comedy, but at the same time, he takes them seriously. Yeah. Whereas then, when you get to Mallrats and Jay and Bob and or Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, it, there's this cartoonish side that's that's a little more almost Stephen Chow and Looney Tunes and just kind of let's have fun in this world and be silly. Yeah. And it's that silliness that kind of separates them. And Clerks Clerks definitely has absurdist comedy, but it, it's not silly. Yeah, yeah. It, it still feels like indie characters, but it still feels like these are, these are people uh, that while they are characters of certain, you know, clerks mm-hmm. uh, or video store attendants or whatever else, that – it it hits on enough familiarity and truth that it still it works. Yeah, it feels like he is really pulling from his real life of actually working at this convenience store and the characters he's run into. So it, it has a very like it's very grounded in that way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like once he gets away from that and he's starting to just write from his imagination, it doesn't have that to fall back on yeah. dogma for me. That's, that's one where I, I struggle because yeah. it bounces between the two and it, it like, especially when I've gone back and, and rewatched it, it doesn't have cohesiveness to it. Mm-hmm. And it seems to struggle with what it wants to be, uh, whether it wants to be more of a grounded, uh, you know, religious satire or whether it wants to be more of a silly road adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and clerks just doesn't have that. I, I really, Clerks, I mean, the things that date in it are the acting and the budget. and But, you know, it's like $30,000 that he put on credit cards. Right. And yeah. just did whatever he could. And, and there's a certain respect in in spite of budget when you, when you see something that's well-written and that just a bunch of people come together and put their all into. Mm-hmm. And, you know, are, are, are willing to risk going bankrupt essentially or into debt just to get this vision – slapped onto the screen. Right. And I remember I I was very young and I remember this on Siskel and Ebert and they just raved about Clerks. (laughs) And I had never heard of Kevin Smith. I had never heard of Clerks. They're showing clips of this weird black and white movie Mm -hmm. and they're talking about how it's, it's filthy but hilarious. 
And I, it, that stuck in my 16-year-old brain and like, I, I will find this movie. <laughs> and you couldn't find it anywhere. It was, it was such an indie yeah, art yeah. house cinema kind of thing. You had to wait till it came out on video. I think I didn't even get around to seeing it till 95. Mm. And it was on VHS and, and things like that. But it, it really it, – uh, it left a, a lasting kind of note in my brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the one that's of his films that have really stuck with me. Yeah. And I, I like that era in film, um, filmmaking, that very independent spirit. Um, I think it still holds up. Yeah. Um, the Usual Suspects. Mm. Yep, on mine as well. Yeah, still still a good film. Yeah. And good I characters. also noticed that because now I have a problem with movies that have Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Unless Kevin Spacey is a bad guy. Uh-huh. And then I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, you're you're dealing with a guy that that in flashback kills his entire family and then seeks vengeance and is this murderous, just awful person. So Kevin Spacey's real life just seems, you know, okay. Yeah, I can I can now uh, <laughs> I can handle the fact that Kevin Spacey is probably a monster in some ways outside in the real world uh, when he's also a monster on screen. That's all. I just just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, I mean. Is Brian Singer too, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean, there's a just, lot of problems involved with this film. But. Yeah. Well, and this is the era of, uh, especially after '94. The the further you go in the '90s, this is uh, Weinstein prime oh, time. Oh wow, yeah. This is Miramax, and before they become the Weinstein Company, and they were just everywhere, and it's all bad. Yeah. Um, Stargate. We talked Ooh, about okay. that. Um, I still, I don't know. I, I like that film. It's yeah. just, it's a fun sci-fi romp. Yeah. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. good. Uh, In the Mouth of Madness. Nice. Um, we're going to talk about that one, so I won't go too deeply into it, but it's, it's, uh, it's a really fun horror film. It's a lot of fun. Um, Crumb. Oh, the documentary? The documentary Crumb. Okay. A really interesting, like, deep dive into the mind of crumb and like his he's a strange little strange, man strange yeah you don't realize how strange and like till yeah. you go into this film and uh it goes in some interesting areas that you're not expecting it to yeah. and uh yeah uh shallow grave oh wow yep danny boyle um okay ewan mcgregor uh, Christopher Eccleson. I forgot when we first talked about 1994 and what we were going to watch that you said I I completely missed that this was released in 94. Yeah, I it was. To watch it. it was released here in 95, the beginning of the year, but it was 94 initially. Okay. Um, and I have a good authority that this movie is great because I just rewatched it right before I came here. <laughs> um, this it's great. It, it, you haven't seen this, right? Not at all. Um, yeah, it's about a group of friend, like three roommates who they have another roommate move in and he dies like just like from a drug overdose or something. Fourth, and they, fourth roommate? Fourth roommate. And that's where it picks up. They're, they're interviewing roommates to come in. And so this guy moves in and he like immediately dies and they find that he had this big bag of money. So craziness ensues where they're trying to decide what they should do with this money should they turn it in should they keep it what yeah so and it becomes about paranoia and these three roommates turning on each other 
And uh, it's early Danny Boyle. I'm not quite sure this might be his first film, like major film. Sounds right. What? Where did you see it? Where was it streaming? I rented it on uh, Amazon. Okay. It was, you know, $4 yeah. rental. Um, it's on Criterion, too. Um, but it's great. Just like, especially seeing like Hugh McGregor at that point in his life, uh, in his career, and uh, Christopher Eccleston as a young <laughs> actor. Um, I can't, I cannot recall the uh, actress's name. It plays the third. Um, she's great too. Um, but it's really good. It's, it's just, and it goes in weird, bizarre areas that you're not expecting. And the acting's really good and the writing's really good. Um, it has that Danny Boyle flair to it, but it's early on. So it's, it's uh, fun seeing it come together and how he's like kind of exploring and finding his voice. Um, I highly recommend it. I'll have to watch it. I I had every intention of doing it, and it just completely slipped my mind. And I mean, it it that that's the problem with going and revisiting films based on a box office list because then you miss yeah a lot of those kind of independent lower budget features that probably didn't make that much mm-hmm. and didn't didn't make a, a as much of a cultural impact, but still. Uh, you know, really stand out at that time. Yeah. And I had watched a few years ago um, when it came out on Criterion and I was like, yeah, it was good. It may, but it wasn't, I don't know if I was expecting more because it was Danny Boyle film. Um, but in the actors who were involved, but then revisiting it today, I was like, Oh man, there's so much in here that I wasn't paying attention to the first time. So hmm. yeah, that's my list. Okay. Uh, mine is, is pretty similar. I have uh, Shawshank, Speed, mm-hmm. uh, The Professional, Usual Suspects, Pulp Fiction, Interview with a Vampire, uh, Clerks, Legends of the Fall, True Lies, and then probably the only movie that we haven't talked about yet, Quiz Show. Have you ever seen Quiz Show? Mm-hmm. Quiz Show is I, – I don't think that there's anything particularly stellar about it that you, that you could point to and say that one thing is what really elevates this movie. It's just kind of across the board. Yeah. It's an interesting story. It's interesting people. It's a true story. It's great actors, great performances. Uh, I believe it was up for for Best Picture, and and so it, it definitely had gotten some attention. Um, it just it's, – it's a really solid flick. Mm-hmm. And uh, as as dramas go, when they don't have much of a hook, uh, this one really it sells its period, and it it has a little more to say than just uh, you know the basic plot of somebody cheating a game show. Yeah, yeah. And this falls into this kind of uh, nest of movies that for some reason is comfort food to me, like mm-hmm. Good Night and Good Luck, and and movies that take place around the production or kind of behind the scenes of the 50s era uh, film and television. And, yeah. and that's why Ed Wood, it's killing me that that I haven't seen that and I didn't think to watch that because mm-hmm. that's the exact same thing. It's that – that's that's one of my little sub wheelhouses. I think you'll really just enjoy love Ed that Wood. stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, and I, then I have – go ahead. I'm sorry. I I have seen Quiz Show, but mm-hmm. it's been – quite a while so i i didn't get around to rewatching it so i didn't know it's it it's definitely it. a performance piece yeah, it's, yeah. it's a it's a script and performance movie mm-hmm. um you know it, it's it's one that would be very easy to forget because again it doesn't have you know some some really defining flash or flair or it really just wants to put you in that time period in that situation 
and watch what develops mm -hmm. behind the scenes as, as people realize, oh, wait, this thing we're watching on TV might not be real, which is such a quaint and cute <laughs> idea because now you're constantly, no matter what a reality show does, I'm always looking for the, okay, where's the production? Where's right. the manipulation? Yeah, yeah. And I can't even watch a cooking show without wondering, is it really an hour to bake that cake? Right. Or, yeah. you know, well, then how did they plate it? And how is it warm when the chefs taste it? And how all that stuff goes through my head and completely ruins my experience. But <laughs> yeah, no. uh, I And then I have this little list of four movies, and I call it my nostalgia list. Mm -hmm. And these are the four movies that I really, really, really wanted to put in my top ten but just objectively, I'm looking at them and I'm like, I love these movies, mm -hmm. but I know how much of it's nostalgia and they're not better than the movies that I put on there. And it's uh, In the Mouth of Madness, uh, The Crow, Stargate, and Legend of Drunken Master, which is actually <laughs> Drunken Master 2. But this is one of the first Jackie Chan movies. I think Rumble in the Bronx had come out, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in the U.S. and then Legend of the Drunk Master is what they called it, but it's it's Drunken Master 2. Mm -hmm. And it's just nuts. Have you ever seen it? Oh, yeah. I, I, I It's <laughs> one of those things where I, I want to revisit all those because, yeah. man, it's so amazing, all the stuff that he did or his, does. His early yeah. martial arts films are insane. Police yeah. Story I know. is batty. Yeah, I, they just I put those believe. on Criterion. Oh, awesome. I cannot believe there are humans that yeah. subjected themselves just for a stunt. Uh, it it just it's it's incredible to me, and and even some of the fights you can tell full on every now and then you can see pads or different things like that. Or these people are really hitting each other mm -hmm. most of the time. They are really, and I know there are tricks to it so that it's not something that does as much damage. But you can still tell. Well, and they're highly trained in yeah. the probably to know how to take a punch or yeah. like to and pull a punch so it looks so real. Yeah. 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 It just um it's 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 an incredible visual martial arts flick. Yeah. Uh, it just the plot doesn't matter. Oh the, the yeah. Plot's it doesn't matter. Real yeah. terrible. Yeah. Uh but it's 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 got fun characters and man. Uh but yeah, that's that's my my nostalgia list. Mouth of Madness, Legend of Drunken Master, The Crow, and Stargate. Now, I do have something a little fun for you. <laughs> I have also put together a list of the absolute worst that 1994 has to offer. Mm -hmm. And Clifford is not on here, even though the internet tells me it should be. And the internet, the internet is, is, wrong. is wrong. Everyone's wrong. We'll get though. to Clifford here in a minute. But uh, I am curious if you've seen any of these. And, and if you have not, I would love to know what you think it's about just from the title. Okay. Okay. So the first one is Wagons East. Ever hear of it? Mm, no, I don't think so. All right. Uh, Wagons East, uh, probably not funny. You're not going to come up with something. I got more here in a bit. But <laughs> Wagons East is just this John Candy. We're, we're headed out in stagecoaches through the frontier. And it's, it's one of those early Canadian comedies. And it's, it's real bad, Clint. Mm -hmm. It's real bad. The second one is The Specialist. Have you seen The Specialist with Sylvester Stallone and Sharon Stone? No, I have not. This is right after the era of Basic Instinct. Okay, When yeah. Sharon Stone is like, okay, I'm getting famous, mm -hmm. but I get it. I need to be naked in movies. Uh -huh. And The Specialist is her trying to essentially shift away from that and get an action movie uh, kind of under her belt. Mm -hmm. Wow, it's bad. <laughs> so bad, Clint. The third one I'm hoping you've seen. It's called In the Army Now. 
Oh, is this with um oh what's his name? Polly Shore. Polly Shore. <laughs> this is in the era of Polly Shore had a yearly movie. Uh-huh. And this year, 94, was in the army now. Mm-hmm. And it is it is Polly Shore attempting to join the army. And I realized watching a few minutes of this, and this mm-hmm. one was one I just went on YouTube and like, give me some clips, YouTube, because mm-hmm. I am not paying $2.99 for this thing. You uh, missed out, I think. Yeah, it's it's essentially Ah, uh, that's where Arrested Development got the inspiration for Buster's army subplot. <laughs> <laughs> it made so much more sense. And Arrested Development does it much, much, much better. Oh, right. Uh, but it's it's really just about this. Uh, it's it's obnoxious. It's it's real bad. And I remember watching it once upon a time and hating yeah. it. But the clips just reminded me how much I hated. Uh, now, this next one, have you ever heard of Exit to Eden? I've heard of it, yeah. I've have you ever it. seen it? No, 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 no. I have not. Hear me out on this. Okay. Rosie O'Donnell. Yes. Dan Aykroyd. Mm-hmm. Undercover cops. Okay. Who have to infiltrate an S&M getaway club. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many it's pictures <laughs> flying through my mind right now. I assure you there are so many leathers, yeah. suits, and metal studs, and but it's Rosie O'Donnell yeah. and Dan Aykroyd. And wow, is this Man, movie bad? I have a very strong visual in my head. I highly encourage you to Google Exit to Eden <laughs> and just look, just the movie poster. That is not what I, like when you said the title, like that's not anywhere close <laughs> to what I thought it would be. It's something, I can't even believe this movie poster hung in uh, 90s rural conservative America. Uh-huh. Because even the poster, it's just like, how is this movie not picketed <laughs> by church groups everywhere? It's It's got Eden writing in the title. And then you got, I cannot stress enough, Rosie O'Donnell and Dan Aykroyd are they the just, undercover I mean, cops. Conservatives have a lot of love for both those characters. Those actors, so. the, the next movie is one of the finest video game adaptations mm-hmm. to ever grace our screens and is Double Dragon. Mm. Did you know they made a movie of Double Dragon? No, and probably because I got lost within like Street Fighter coming oh. out at the same time. And this is this is somehow even worse than Street Fighter. Yeah. Uh it's it's real bad. Collar of Night. Anything ring a bell there? Hmm. Is it just like a black screen the entire time? <laughs> no, it's just like Color overexposed. <laughs> Collar of Night is a a Bruce Willis erotic thriller. Oh man. And Bruce Willis is the key word in in what I just said there mm-hmm. because uh, he's Bruce, very erotic. Sure. This is this is <laughs> right when Bruce Willis is is kind of getting full of himself from the Die Hard fame. Yeah. And he he takes himself too seriously and he really thinks he's he's got it locked down. But mm-hmm. but really, you know, he's just an an early balding adult male with with a kind of chiseled grin. Uh, if he strains real hard, he kind of grins. Uh, yeah. But yeah. I think he's he's probably a sex symbol to a lot of people. I guess. Yeah. Uh, a lot of grandmothers now, I mm. guess. Uh, he's old. He is old, yeah. He's real old. Uh, the next one is Beverly Hills Cop 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen? No. It's Beverly Hills Cop in an amusement park. It's awful. <laughs> and it really, I mean, it's it's universally hated. People are just like... I loved Beverly Hills Cop. I love Beverly Hills Cop 2. Oh, this one's bad. I've never seen any of those. Real bad. Films. Lightning Jack hmm. with Paul Hogan and Cuba Gooding Jr. 
in the Australian Outback uh-huh. playing to, I believe, 1800s, late 1800s kind of cowboys in the Outback. Uh-huh. Hmm. You got to watch these movies, Clint. <laughs> I feel like this I'm missing out. Gold. And then finally, Cabin Boy. Oh, yeah. Okay. Have you seen Cabin Boy? Uh, one point in my life. It's I got, have. Uh, what's his name? Chris Elliott. Yep. I love Chris Elliott. I don't love this movie. Yeah. Have you seen this movie recently? No, no. Oh, it's bad. Probably at the time. It's bad. This is Chris Elliott thinking, okay, Jim Carrey's got three. Mm-hmm. I can do one. And it's 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 going to be the seafaring adventure, and I'm going to be this cabin boy, and oh, man. <laughs> now, here's my question for you, Clint. Okay. So, Wagons East, mm-hmm. the specialist, in the Army now, Exit to Eden, Double Dragon, Collar of Night, Beverly Hills Cop 3, Lightning Jack, uh, Cabin Boy. Mm-hmm. It occurred to me that we both enjoy Clifford. Mm-hmm. Somebody out there loves each of these movies. Yeah. There has to be a movie... Like there's there is 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 there any movie you can think of that's just universally despised? Like nobody could possibly love this thing because even the room with uh, Tommy Wiseau, yeah, uh, people love that and have a blast with it, but not for the same re- like reason. Like they don't genuinely think it's a fantastic film. That's true. It's like for the sake of like wow, look how bad this is. That's true. Yeah. Okay. I just I know somewhere out there somebody is just like. Dan Aykroyd and Rosie O'Donnell were really good in Exit to Eden, and they really brought a groundedness to their undercover cops in that S&M getaway retreat. <laughs> it was probably more critically accepted than Clifford at the it, time. That is true. That is, it has a higher Rotten Tomatoes score, and uh, it has a higher IMDb score than so, Clifford. Yeah. Clifford on IMDb is down around three, and Exit to Eden's up around four point something. Mm-hmm. So, oof. I'm sure for every one of those, those there's like a Clifford a level of fan. I, I'm sure. I want to meet them. If you love Exit to Eden, I would like you to email contact <laughs> at cinebabblecast.com. We would like to hear from you, Exit to Eden fans. I want to know what it is with Dan Aykroyd and Rosie O'Donnell as undercover police officers Going undercover. What if I watch this and I love it? And oh, I'm like, Ken, it's you amazing. Would. You would love it. And by the way, <laughs> I watched uh, – we've got a bone to pick, sir. Uh, you told me I would hate this film. You told me I would hate Annette. I told you you would hate I'm Annette. I'm sorry to leave 1994 for a second. You didn't tell me why I would hate Annette. I told you. You did you not know, tell me that they would have a child and that child would be a living puppet doll ventriloquist thing. There's a good reason I didn't tell That's you that. terrifying. I, there's a good reason I didn't tell you. Please tell me. Because that it's not given away in anything. There's no advertising. There's no way I could oh, have talked Clint, about that. It was it was nightmare fuel. I told it, you. I put it that way. I said it's nightmare fuel for but you. But you didn't say it's nightmare fuel because there's a baby that's a doll. There's thing no way I could have told you that. It's, it's like this weird puppet ventriloquist. It's a ventriloquist. Doll. Yeah, ventriloquist it, dummy. It's terrifying, is what it is. And and I thought at first. I mean, I really jumped. And I'm just like, no, 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 no. I really, I had like chills yeah. and sweats and I, I'm like, mm. I know. That's why I said you will hate this film. But I thought this is a joke. This is a a setup during this song and it's not actually happening. They kept going with it, Clint. Yeah. They yeah. kept going with it. Yeah. I mean, it, 
it oh. makes sense in the context of the film. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. No, it doesn't. In the in what they're trying to say about like the relationship. I don't know the- what they were trying to say because I didn't finish the film because you did not adequately prepare <laughs> me for why I would hate this movie. I had to shut it off because I'm telling you. Okay, well then you can't say it doesn't work because it does. It doesn't work. It, does. it doesn't work. It chased me away. <laughs> okay. I told I spent, you. I spent more time watching some of the movies on this worst list than I spent with Annette because man, I was with Annette and I'm like, I, I'm not really enjoying this. And I think Clint's right, but but I'm sticking it out. And then that kid, man. I told you. I wasn't lying to like like oh Ken won't like this film. I like this film, but Ken won't like this film. I'm so much smarter than Ken. No, it was like I genuinely know Ken will hate this film. Yeah. And it, I I'm trying to express to you, don't watch it. Okay. Well, it you suggested that it was because of the rock opera nature of it and the musical nature. No, of it. I told you there is an element of this film that yes. I know will be After nightmare fuel. After talking to me about musicals and so I thought But that was not the part that I said, "Can you will hate this because no. it's a rock opera?" I think we need to work on our relationship <laughs> code words cuz you did not prepare me for walking into that movie. And uh oh, Clint. I'm sorry. Clint. I'm sorry. I just watched it Friday and I'm I'm waiting for the dreams to start cuz they will. Mm-hmm. They will. It's it's inevitable. Uh, so thanks for that. All right, Clint. Well, I am looking at the time and is looking like we have already spent so much time in 1994. I think we've got a bit carried away. A with... little bit. A <laughs> little bit. It was it was me watching way too many things. Yeah, like 70 films or something. Well, and like I said, when I was going through there, I realized as I'm talking that I'm like, I have watched too many movies to even talk about. Uh, so what we're going to do, I, I think, is we're going to take a break. And we're going to end the episode here. Uh, and next week, in episode 38 of Cinebabble, we will do 1994 part two. Part two. Part two. The part movies. And, uh, and once we get to part two, we will cover our reviews. We'll, we'll talk about True Lies, In the Mouth of Madness, Clifford, and The Professional. And I'm sure we will get into a mess of other discussions because uh, that's how our brains go. Yeah. Uh, I'm but, sure you're uh, all on the edge of your seats. Oh, just on the edge of yeah, your seats. Like, oh, for, I can't wait for, to hear what just, they have to say about these what, movies. What do Clinton Ken, these insta-influencers, think about <laughs> – I'm so involved with that. I can't believe I know. I know. Uh, all right. Well, as always, you can contact us at contact at cinebabblecast.com. You can find us online at www.cinebabblecast.com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Cinebabble. And uh, love to hear from you. If you have ideas or, or things you'd like to hear from us, uh, always good hearing back from you. Uh, keep that feedback coming. And like we've said before, if you haven't thrown a, a review at Apple Podcasts or, or one of those for us yet, and a you friendly, like us. A friendly, positive review. If you like us, go for that review. If you don't like us, send that email and then stop listening and just – Yeah, go enjoy your life. Go and like something. <sighs> Seriously. They're, they're, we just made a whole whole – we're making two episodes about 1994. There's plenty of movies out there that you can go and enjoy instead of hating your way through what we think. So, you know, it's live, all it's just what we truth. think. It's not the truth. the end all of no. uh be all of uh reviews no. or no. anything. No. So, this has been episode 37 of Cinebabble. Glad as always that you're listening. Uh see you kids here uh for part 2 next week, episode 38. Bye, Until Ken. then. Bye Clint. <laughs> 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 <laughs>